The Two Tackies, episode 112. Delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.TV. Taking a bite out of technology. It's time to talk technology. This is The Two Techies, your number one source for the latest tech news of the week. The Two Techies are queued up and ready. Now from Studio 1A, your host, Jamie Bunting and Darren Fisher. Is it that time again where we talk the technology you want to know about? I believe it is. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2012. How are you doing today, Aaron? Oh, I'm good, how about yourself? I'm not too bad, thanks. Joining us today is an electronics genius, a personal computing pioneer, and a Segway extraordinaire. It's an absolute honour to be able to introduce Steve Wozniak. Thanks for so much for coming on to the show today, Steve. Yeah, glad to be here with you here today. It really is an absolute honour to, to have you joining us. We really can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time out of your crazy schedule, and we both understand that you're, you're halfway across the country one day and you're back to America the next. Well, actually, that's normally true. I'm in a good period right now because I'm home enough to do things like this. And I always have a, a bundle of them stacked up in email, people that want to do interviews all over the place. And I'm so thankful when I can actually get to it or go out to coffee with fans that are in town, that sort of thing. I try to do that a lot. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, that's. I think that's why, that's why it's so uh, obvious as to why it's important to contact or connect with, you know, your fans and whatnot as well. Yeah, yeah, and not just fans, but I'm so interested in technology that anybody that wants to talk technology and pass on things they know, I mean, that's just a big part of my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not as a job for you, it's more of a, just just your life in general. Yeah. So, Aaron, and how I are you? Try, I try not to hide out, though, and be one of those people you can't get a hold of and yeah. I only read from specialized scripts. No, I'm open. Yeah, I think that's what makes you stand out from the crowd. Big time. So, Aaron, how are you? I'm good. Thank, thank you for coming on, Steve. Uh, so, yeah. we've, we've got a lot of questions. Well, not a lot, but uh, quite a lot of in-depth questions uh, to ask Steve. The first one, probably one of the most common ones you get. What, what really got you into electronics? You know, what, what made it click for you? Yeah, well, the very, very start was probably, well, I was a superstar in math. But you know what? I had other friends in my neighborhood that got into electronics really well, like myself, and they didn't weren't superstars in math. So I just think that was something that luckily helped me be very good at electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in an, an area where there were like a neighborhood where there were a lot of parents who were electrical engineers. My dad was an electrical engineer. When it came time to do projects on our own, just for some fun idea that came up, reading uh, a little electronics hobby magazines, science fair projects in school, I tended right away towards electronic projects for science fairs. I also amazingly loved electronics projects that you got for like Christmas presents with tons of switches and lights and buzzers and all these different combinations of things. I loved interaction where you actually take steps and things happen, you know, Mm -hmm. as simple as it is. Maybe you just connected a microphone to a speaker. Um, and, And my friends and I, it was so fun because we would talk about we'd read all the catalogs of products that we could never get the money to buy little walkie talkies communication receivers we'd uh we, you know when we got some wire we ran a, a house-to-house intercom we just ran the wire along the fence up and down the block 
and we liked doing these things. And it made so for me, electronics was a fun side of life that not every kid knew about. Yeah. And that gave you a little specialness. You knew some things. You couldn't really talk to other people about it. You didn't become get friends in school for being electronics. But you could play tricks on people. (laughs) You could understand and figure things out even better than teachers sometimes. Yeah. And I loved the mathematics of it. So, and I got deep into that because I had a ham radio license by the time I was ten years old, and stumbled on. I stumbled onto little. stories about electronics or about digital logic of computers and i was fascinated i read it and i think i was always fascinated to know little tidbits that other people didn't know other kids didn't know in school and it made me kind of feel special about myself but i never boasted about it i just enjoyed doing it it was like my hobby yeah and did you ever think that this this great interest in electronics would lead you on to what you later led to do um, no, I totally expected back then that I would um, um, wind up being an engineer, building the things engineers build like my father, you know, TVs, radios, guidance systems, whatever they were. Um, and uh, I just figured I would do that because I was so good at it. I mean, I was kind of never had to worry about being able to get some kind of job even out of high school. Yeah. Well, I mean, without without your work and your dedication uh, to the engineering community, we probably wouldn't be here doing what we're doing right now. We wouldn't be talking to you. And who knows, maybe Apple wouldn't have even been anything, you know? Well, Apple came further down the line. It was more than just knowing engineering. Yeah. Um, It was actually stumbling onto getting, I got to actually, we didn't have computers in our schools, but um, my electronics teacher arranged for me to go down to a company once a week and program a computer. Mm-hmm. It was his idea. I didn't ever indicate I was interested in computers, but I was. Yeah. And so I got an early start and then I discovered descriptions of computers and I started teaching myself how to design them. No books, no manuals, no textbooks, no nobody even telling me how to connect chips up and little logic parts of chips to make a full computer. I started practicing and practicing, and it takes you a very long time. Your first attempts are very crude, but in the end, I was able to do it. And because I had taught myself, I had learned it from the bottom up, not just copying somebody else's design and thinking I sort of knew it enough to pass a test. I mean, I knew it deep inside and out and i could never get the parts to build these things so i kept designing them over and over and over and that's what got me incredible skills to where i could just think in my own head and work out very very complicated problems of computer design Mm -hmm. and that put me in a perfect place to do apple but another thing was um you know where the world was building some early starting low-cost computers when i developed the apple one and it wasn't even for apple it was just for myself so there was no name apple steve Jobs didn't even know i had it and i would take it down to this local club all of them were interested in hobby computer kits and it turns out that i had built the equivalent of those five years before wow. so i was already five years past kind of where all the other people thinking what could we build for real people that you call a computer yeah so I and I just one project after another video games for Atari and terminals so I could get onto the early internet called the ARPANET. So I had just and I was just building these for myself. I'm, every time I built something, Steve Jobs came by and said he knew a way to turn it into money. Hmm. Did, did you ever think that when he came along and said that, um, started like you said, turn it into money? Did you ever think that that's what you would wanted to do? Do you ever think that when you were making 
the Apple One that it would go on to become what it did? Or no, never. The Apple II, which is really the computer that revolutionized the world, was the sixth time that I had designed something just for myself to use to show off, to be proud of. And Steve came along and turned it into money. Yeah. So. So it, it was never my thought. As a matter of fact, when he turned these things into money, eh, it was a few hundred bucks here, a few hundred bucks there. It was not like big time money. It was not like a real company. So were you unsure so, about making the money? Pardon? Were you unsure that you know making the money from the, the well? This was- yeah. With the, well, with the Apple One, when he suggested forming a company, a real company to do it, uh, I got a little scared because. Oh, you could only have a company if you're going to make a profit. That's the going theory. Yeah. And I wasn't sure. I knew that there were a lot of people at my club interested in my computer design, which I'd handed out for free. But I don't know if they would buy a PC board from us to make it quick. I just didn't know. And neither did Steve. You know, but when you're two best friends and you have a chance to have a company for your once in your life, it's more like a fun little game. It's more like a hobby. So, um, uh, yeah, profits didn't matter. We knew that we would sell some of these things, and we knew that each one of them would have some money-making potential for us. Um, you know, would we ever have a company that would make something like a million dollars? That was just a dream that could never be, never be likely. Yeah. So initially, you really you weren't sure about anyone. Well, not anyone, but a lot of people wanting to buy it was more of a, just a hobby and something that you were willing to do. Uh, yeah, and market. Yeah, basically, we would we would lose some money. I had to sell the most valuable thing I owned, and pretty much Steve the same. The only place we could get money, we had no bank accounts, no friends or relatives that could loan us money. Yeah, so we sold our our most valuable things, and would we sell fifty computers, which was enough to get our money back? Neither one of us knew. But hey, you got to take a risk. You got to try it with Steve's view. Me, me, I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. I never, I never once thought about money and doing any of these projects. So, uh, do do you think that it was the two of you merged together that really, really helped market and design and engineer the products? Absolutely, it was very, very important. For one thing, Steve Jobs was very motivated to find a way to make himself big in the world and have, you know, big companies and be important and whatever it took, you know, yeah. and. That was I was the opposite. I was shy in that regard. But you know what? If you're starting a company, um, and, and Steve didn't, he kind of had a direction, but he didn't really have his ideas. I knew what I could build, so my ideas were easy. It was just knowing what I could build that was way ahead of the rest of the world. So that was a perfect combination because Steve looks around for the best, and mm-hmm. he saw that everything I was doing was the best that anyone in the world at that time was doing in this category. Yeah, which was a starting a low cost computer that really was useful, and um, not so only- thankfully, thankfully Steve found me. Thankfully, he was there for me because otherwise, my design would have maybe I would have gotten some little fame in the in the hobbyist world, but mm-hmm. it never would have gone on to really the my good talents wouldn't have gone to affect the rest of the world positively without Steve and his leadership taking it there because I would have been too scared and too shy and just too soft a person to really head that direction. Yeah. So, did you ever regret leaving Apple then? Once you did, you know, in the early days, once not at all. No? I was. It was incredibly amazing as Apple grew and grew and became successful, and then we made some money and we were sort of rich, and then we were super rich when we went public. Um, these were exciting times. Everything we designed turned into gold and had value, 
And then it got to the point that Apple was large enough that, well, projects were going to go on. New computers were going to get built and designed, whether I was there or not. And Apple's, Apple's future was pretty secure and didn't depend upon me like it had totally. I was critical element for the early start. So about that time, you know, I like small little startups because you're a group of friends sitting around a table, just like the three of us are now, kind of. And you're just sitting out at lunch, maybe, and you're throwing out wild ideas, and you say, why don't we try to build a prototype and see if it works? Yeah. And you go and do it. I like that little environment with, you know, a f small collection of close friends who are engineers or technicians. And, um, and you know, so I was kind of a little disappointed my role at Apple just wasn't, you know, where my heart was. I'm still into the little startup phase. So I actually didn't leave Apple. I stayed on as an employee, but I started other companies on the side. And, um, well, they became sort of my main thing. But I remained officially an employee of Apple. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't violate employee agreements. Like if I ever competed with Apple, I'd be in super serious trouble. Yeah. After you left Apple, did you ever, did you stay on do or did you stay when your new companies did you stay to do electronics or was it something completely different yeah first time i left apple i was on the macintosh group and i project and i had a plane crash and when i came out of amnesia five weeks later i called steve and basically told him that i you know that apple was going to be fine without me i was going to go on and get my college degree finished so I took a, a little over a year off, college degree, and put on some concerts. And then I came back to Apple as an engineer working on the Apple II stuff. And um, and then the next time I took off was uh, I was talking with some engineer friends, these ideas about making a universal remote control. I really wanted to do it, and it was in the early days when nothing like that existed and very few, a lot of pro very few products really even had remote controls yet. I wanted to do it. So I left Apple, stayed on as an official, officially as an employee, but super low pay, just out of loyalty. Yeah. So, so it was really kind of like it, it just made a lot of sense. I had a neat idea. I wanted to take it somewhere. It was not an Apple project. Mm. And that's what? Did you continue to do it for many years or was it something that you did on the side after Coming back well, to Apple. I never, I, I never officially went back into Apple doing engineering. And somewhere during that project, you know, my style of engineering was so intent. Oh, I would, my head would be tight and thinking hard and stressful to solve difficult problems. And so I wrote the my, the code for our four bit microprocessor, and then it came time for the eight bit. And I, I, I got away to privacy where nobody could interrupt or call me. For one week, and then two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And you know what? I didn't do anything, and I just totally changed my mind and decided, you know, I was I had a family by now. I had a couple kids, and I'd rather um, take it a lot easier and just hire people to write the rest of the code. So around then, I just sort of changed and decided I was going to be more of a oversight than actually doing a lot of the, the work. Mm, yeah. So, speaking of which, what are you working on at the minute? What what's your current your current main well, projects? I, right now, I, I do a lot of speaking, and I even do a lot of um, just I don't know idea work, thinking about ideas I have all over the place, and um, they they just come to me. Usually, you know, just in the shower. Just today, it was uh, I was starting to go back to a couple projects that I proposed for a company I work for, Fusion IO that is basically the leader in the world in replacing hard disks 
with NAND flash chips. Mm -hmm. You call it solid-state disks. What we build are not disk drives that go into person's computers, but boards that go into the servers on the other end of the Internet. And we're just we went public, hugely successful company. Well, I've been proposing some projects as like science, a science department. And when we get to a large enough company, I'm told I'll have the funding for them. But one of them is to use GPUs to make small personal supercomputers. Mm-hmm. And the second is optical logic, where photons do the work instead of electrons. Ah. And the two of those together, the two of those together make possible. I mean, if you know how hot GPUs get and oh, yeah. graphics boards and all that, yeah, it makes it all of a sudden there's no heat when you if you get to optical logic. And then I start thinking about what kind of arithmetic GPUs have. They kind of have addition and simple arithmetic, but do any of them have floating point units? I don't think that's a part of the GPU world, but I don't really know. So I started thinking, whoa, what if you took – I don't know where this idea came from, but these are the way ideas come to me. What if you had a little hologram on a sheet, you know, the size of a stamp, and you held it in front of you, and you put some data through some light that represented a number, and it did, and it did a floating point operation is what came out of it, out of a hologram. Mm-hmm. Of course a hologram could do it. The same way we use Fourier transforms and other methods of converting data and getting it back, complicated mathematics, and a hologram can store everything. It could have floating point addition, floating point um, multiplication, it could have logarithms, and it could also have search engine type stuff built in, and it could do everything, almost all of the major elements that computer programs do would be in one, and it's kind of like optical, I mean, sorry, it's like quantum computing, where everything's being computed at once, but you only have one output, and, and I started, and those ideas were just starting to come to me, well, you have this little hologram, well, then it ref- I went back to my psychology days where they described the cortex of the human brain as storing patterns of your life, things you've done, autobiographical memories, as a hologram. They're sort of everywhere. And then I thought, maybe that's how a brain really works. It's like a hologram, and, I, and a hologram could probably, via light, do incredibly complicated things. And I thought of savants, these guys that you give them huge long numbers. They come up with an answer and they don't know exactly how they did it or where it's coming from. And it could be some kind of equivalent to light holograms, but working on chemicals or something in the brain. Yeah. It's one, one other idea of how a brain might work because we don't know. Mm. So these ideas just occur to me. And then I kind of take them and a lot of futuristic thinking. And some of it's just um, sometimes down to earth, you know, proposals about, you know, even social things and and politics and that kind of stuff, or or I'll think about energy and what is green and pollution, mm-hmm. and I come up with a bunch of bunch of varied ideas. But then I start thinking about these ideas for years until I have a sure belief in them, based on sort of mathematics or real logic. I mean, real facts. Uh, I mean, real undeniable truth. And some of them would shock people. Like, there's nothing you can do as a consumer to be green. Is one of those ideas. Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, is, is I mean, and the question is: Is a bicycle greener than a car in terms of pollution driving to work? And, and how so? What? Well, you would say a bicycle. Yeah. Well, it turns out that the the pollution of any ve- any device, any vehicle, is all of the energy steps, all the manufacturing steps used in every step of the processes from digging the ores to manufacturing the product. Uh-huh. And if something 
uses twice the energy to make, it pollutes twice as much. If it uses twice the energy, it costs twice as much. So dollars equal pollution. A car might represent $30,000 worth of pollution, and a bicycle might represent $500 of pollution. Uh So for that ride to work, the bicycle is a lot greener. Yeah. But then here's the problem. What did you do with the other $29,500? You had to, it had to get spent on things that used energy by that amount to pollute. Hmm. You can't change the GNP by your individual personal choices. Yeah. So your personal choices don't lead to any extra greenness, only tiny amounts in terms of byproducts. And the car's byproduct might be worse than the energy that runs an electric car. But you still get down to small, small bits of the total um, problem that can be solved by all these steps that people think we have to drastically take to save yeah. the world. Yeah, that, that really is an interesting concept. It just makes you think a lot more about, you know. Yeah, but it took me a lot of years to actually think it out, starting with my nice hybrid car and yeah. so proud of my great fuel mileage and then starting to think about what is it really, where do things really come from? It doesn't come to you instantly. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, these are just all my own thoughts. But what I like to do is think out a lot of things my own way, and they're very different than stuff you'll ever like read in magazine articles. I don't take things from other people very often because that's how we're educated. We learn that every all the answers are in a book, but they're not your answer. Yeah, I'm the sort of person that wanted to create things. I wanted to design things. I wanted to make things that were my own, every step of it, that were unique, and those were my answers, not somebody else's. I didn't want to copy somebody's circuit. It's just like those early computers. I designed everything in the Apple computers so differently than anyone had ever thought of before. And all these other little hobbyists were just copying Intel's data sheet and yeah. doing nothing more. Mm-hmm. And they were thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I just <laughs> yeah. copy the data sheet and I manufacture it. Well, I'm sorry. That's not thinking. Yeah, it's not innovative. It's just repeating the, the same steps. Yeah, and, and somebody else's steps. And the only innovation is you put it in a box and sold it. Yeah, <laughs> Quite. Now, today's big innovations, though, are far from what I started with, electronics and computer design. Today's innovations really are, how do you package all of these modern things that were developed in different parts of the world? You know, touch screens and microphones and tiny speakers and little miniature cameras. And uh, how do you package it all in a tiny, tiny package when some of these things used to be gigantic? So that's where we've really excelled. I mean, how do you put so much memory on a little, you know, micro SD card? So much memory. And it's four or sometimes eight or even 16 little dies of silicon plopped all on top of each other. And it's still as thin as a piece of paper because they laser shaved it. These are manufacturing technologies that really gave us the power in your hand, if you will. Yeah. And so speaking of technology, we might as well, uh, we're running out of time uh, swiftly here, but very quickly, a few more questions. First off, what piece of technology are you using the most at the minute? You know, your mobile, your laptop, iPad, you know, tablet, or? I'm going to say it's fair. You know, I, I try to go to the, the tablet, but I'm so used to a computer where I can have yeah. multiple screens open. And I, I like to read data off of one thing that I have and type it into another that's in a different program. Mm-hmm. You can't run two different programs at the same time, no. two different apps on your iPad. So I kept trying to think of, is there any way I could make my life totally an iPad world for the convenience? Didn't make it there, but I would rate my MacBook Pro and my iPhone 4S unlocked as equal. Hmm. They're, they're both equally uh, important and useful to me. I do not do very much email 
or even that much texting on my iPhone, but I've got it there for any emergency. And very often, just to ask it a question, to make a reminder note, to, um, uh, you know, heck, I'll even use it just to listen to um, music while I walk my dogs. Yeah. So now, uh, they're both they're both that important to me. And, um, and uh, yeah, don't believe these stuff when people put out articles, reporters try to get sensationalists and say that, Oh, I prefer the Android or something like that. It's a that's a joke. Nobody's ever seen me use an Android. Oh, really? Yeah. I just I mean, I I carry them, I compare them, I test them, I demonstrate once in a while, but nobody's ever seen me take a phone call or make a phone call on an Android. Nobody has seen me look something up on um like a Google search. Once in, about the only thing I use the Android for is navigation because the iPhone doesn't do it. Mm, yeah. And also the apps, but I do notice, but on my own, privately. I noticed that things like the Foursquare app is a lot prettier on the iPhone. Mm, yeah. And and these app, I'm, I'm sorry, on the Android. They're prettier on the Android. They got the user interface done better sooner with buttons in the right place and looking the right way. And that's because Apple's um, approval process is complicated. Yeah. Now, this next question is... You'll never is, take, you know, the, the essence of all good in technology or wherever is honesty, in my opinion. Most companies, you know, it's the opposite. You try to hide things and keep things secret. It's all based on secrets. But to me, it's all based on openness and honesty. Hmm. Talking about open, openness and honesty, actually, briefly, what are your thoughts on, like, the internet censorship, uh, SOPA and Protect IP in America? Um, it's, it's very complicated. IP should be protected. If I, if I invent something, uh, for example, what if you just could buy all the parts real cheap and hook up a little factory, you know, in your neighborhood, take a house and have yeah. a bunch of people doing little jobs and you could make little iPhones and give them to all your friends for a very low cost for no profit. Would that be right? No, it wouldn't. No. So it's just that it became so easy to say duplicate, duplicate with software and the world hasn't caught up to that yet. But if I invent something, if I, if I invent something, let's say it's a song, I sing a song and I give it to you and I say, I will give you my song, but only under the condition that you won't copy and distribute it. Mm-hmm. And you've given me your promise. Yeah. It's your word. How good is your word? And I don't like um, the fact that young people are growing up thinking that anything you can get away with is okay. Eth- I'm very ethical and I would never steal myself. And I don't want people thinking, oh my gosh, stealing's always okay if it's easy. Yeah. So, there's a problem with protecting IP, but SOPA had a lot of flaws, and it might just be that we cannot protect IP. It mm. might be we have to give up and go to a world where you don't own what you create, yeah, and that the world really owns it. But that would sure would that apply to iPhones as well someday? Yeah. You know, and if you extended it to its limit, yes, it would. Um, so uh, you, you know, so it, the trouble is these producers of things like music just. They're old systems where you you own it, you can make money off of it. If the world isn't that way, technically, you know, we've got wires everywhere, then you've got to find the new way and get in with it. And they resisted and resisted and resisted because they had a nice money machine built on the way it had always been done. Yeah. They didn't want to move towards the, the new new approaches. So hmm. um, soap is, you know, flawed, but it may be the best you could even do. It may be that anything else you come up with is also flawed. There may be no way around the flaws. Yeah. Such things as you can't really stop the the piracy from going on. I just I'm just gonna say I don't like piracy myself, and I'm one of the rare ones that says that. A lot of people say, "Oh, this is really sort of the heart of the world." Mm, yeah, I, I 
I have to agree with you on that one. It's sort of it's just the easier form of going into a shop and lifting something and walking out without paying. Yeah. So yeah, and I've been opposed to SOPA since it came out, and yeah. also you know it gets down to things like uh, human rights in the electronic world and the computer world, and um, you know civil civil liberties, things like that. Yeah. And I'm one of the founders of EFF, so you can see where my head is at. Yeah. So very quickly, uh, we've got one last question, Aaron. You you can take that one. That very quickly, I know we're running over time here, so sure. Finally, have you got any advice for people who are aspiring to make make a difference in the the technology industry? Yeah, a lot of people have great great ideas. It could be a billion dollar idea, and some go and some don't, and there's no real assurance. Um, you're not a company. You're an individual. I favor this kind of developer more than anything in the world. I hate it when big companies get so much control that they make it very difficult for the little developer to have a place. Um, one of the things is whenever you're thinking of doing something, think about how would other people do it this way? What could I do? Sit down and dream for a little. Give yourself some free time. What could I do that is a very different approach to the same problem? And maybe it does more things or it does solves it cheaper. And those two are, are like the main important things. Um, also, quality. If something is very – it actually is intuitive. A lot of people think, oh, once I'm done with a program and it's on the web, and you click here and you click there and you click there, and all the nice things happen. But if you didn't position those buttons well and size them and make them – Make the person's eye go to what they really want to do first. You get people feeling this just feels awkward. It feels like an obstacle to me, and they don't like it. So quality, 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 quality. You know, just try to think that you're making it better than anybody else in the world does. Yeah. And so very quickly, uh, just before we wrap up, future plans yourself. Uh, any, Any aspiring plans to go on to? Well, I mentioned a couple. Uh, I'm a science division in my company, Fusion IO. I'd like to investigate optical logic. I'd like to investigate GPU computing. I'd like to um, investigate a few other topics that largely have to do with um, computer performance. Yeah. Um, I'd like to investigate new algorithms to use the NAND flash in programming languages and operating systems that don't yet exist. Mm. And Flash being quite a bit different than hard disk in the way it connects to a processor more like RAM. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I guess you've got a lot of interesting things, and I, I guess we can only wait and see what happens. Um, I always enjoy seeing what happens, but boy, I can't feel that I can do it all. <laughs> as long as you have the research team behind you. <laughs> no, but it's an enjoyable thing in life to see it change and kind of understand it. And there's a lot of people in the world that, oh... They have no idea, you know, hit them 10 years later, what they have comes from this kind of thinking. Yeah. Well, Steve, it has been an absolute honor to, to be able to speak with you. And we really, really honestly do appreciate you taking the time out to, uh, to, to talk to us. Of course, you've got your Twitter and your Facebook, which people can keep uh, in touch with you at. If, if Keeping up to, be to honest, date. To be honest, I don't really use them. Um, mm. I mean, I get a ton of comments every day, hundreds from Facebook, yeah. and I answer some of them. But I'm only one person. You only have... I know. As one person, you only have so much time, yeah. and uh, I have so much email. I pretty much work in email and just go into Facebook to answer. Yeah. Well, Steve, again, thanks so much. Hopefully, maybe in a few few years' time, we'll have you on sometime again soon for your development. Thank you so much, Steve, once again. It's been an absolute honor, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Okay. It's been an honor to me. Thank you, and good luck.